1 Peter 2, verse 1. Therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. I mentioned in Sunday school class, too often as we read through these scriptures, we quickly move from one word to another one without allowing the full impact of what each of those words mean to seep into our minds. And as we do that, we unknowingly forfeit so many of the benefits that we would have had had we taken only a few more moments with each of those words. Now here in chapter 2, it begins with the word, therefore. And as is said by so many preachers and so many teachers, it is appropriate that when we see the word therefore, that we should actually go back and see what that word is there for. And it almost always refers back to something especially important that's just been given in the preceding words. And that's so here with this word therefore. It's referring back to some of the blessed truths that we've been diligently studying over these past few weeks in chapter 1. And though we have spent time on those words, I want us to do it again, at least to some extent, so that we'll be able to fully grasp the why and the how of these words here in chapter 2 about laying aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and evil speaking. We need to always go back and refresh our minds about those things. I also want to remind us that that's what God instructs us to do about all of these scriptures. He wants us to keep re-saying them and rehearsing them over and over again. And why does He ask us to do, to do that? It's because that's exactly what He teaches all throughout this, these scriptures through the prophets and through these who would minister to us. My best reminder as in the book of Acts where Stephen, one of the leaders of the New Testament church, as he was about to be stoned for his faith in Christ, he took that one last opportunity to rehearse back to those Jewish leaders how God had saved them out of bondage in Egypt and had brought them into a new life in the promised land. They did go ahead then and stone him, but he took that one last opportunity. And you and I need to be as Stephen And that is to not miss an opportunity to rehearse back to all the people that we encounter this goodness and this grace of God who's shown us His mercy and grace in saving our souls from our bondage to sin. Now here in today's passage, God's reminding us through reminding these dear saints that there was sin that was rearing its ugly head in their conduct. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking, slander. And he's telling them why they should turn away from those behaviors. And it's because they have been especially chosen by God to be saved and to lead godly lives as they go about their days among their brethren. He says that to them in chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, where he says, They're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus and be sprinkled with His blood. 
Now simply put, God is saying to those saints, because you've been chosen to have and to live an eternal life of righteousness in Christ, you must then, therefore, lay aside your ways of unrighteousness. Don't continue to sin in the way that you did before you were saved. That they, you are, and they were to lay aside all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and evil speaking. Now, so often as I read words like this here again that we just said about God choosing people to be saved, it prompts me again to go back and reconsider that question because it will invariably rise up in our minds as we read it in the Scriptures or as a preacher preaches it. And this is word about choosing because that's what that verse said there in verse 1, that God has chosen us. And so we again wonder if He has chosen those people there that Peter had written this letter to, if He had chosen them to eternal life, did He also choose others? Does that also mean that He did not choose some? Because we have to deal with that word choose. Why does God do things that way? Why does He do it that way? We said as we studied these words like the word chosen on other occasions, that uh, confusion arises, even it becomes an anathema in, in some minds. I spend time in Bible studies and in discipleship, and this is, this is one of the topics that I run across uh, with some of my Baptist friends. They are saved, just as I am saved. But yet, they would struggle with going ahead and understanding what these words such as this mean with simply accepting the concept that God has chosen them in one way or another. God has chosen them. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. God makes choices. We saw that in our Sunday school class this morning as He decides to reach in to this family's life and into this woman's life who had been barren, and for her to bear a son who would later judge Israel. That was Samson's mother. What does it all mean? And I do like to go back and rehearse to myself. What does it all mean? Does it mean that God chooses everyone to be saved? But then it only applies to those who respond and actually receive Him as Savior and Lord? that those are the ones who are actually saved? Is that what it really means? May I just leave it at that point this morning and just simply say, be all of that as it may, whether we be of one understanding of the Scriptures or the other. These words do say that we are in some manner or another chosen. But then we do have to also say that regrettably there are those who are not saved, who are not chosen, And because of their free will paths, they do walk through that broad path of destruction. And it is those who so freely and often rampantly get caught up in exactly what we're talking about here. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. How often do you sit in a crowd, and especially of unbelievers, those who have of their own free will decided not to have Christ as their Savior. Where does your conversation lead to? It will almost always 
lead to at least one of these. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. It's commonplace. But then you and I have to stop and back up and say, but it's not just those unbelievers that do that. Before you and I were saved, we also walked in those very same ways. It says so right here in these scriptures. Here in First Peter, it says so over in Ephesians. It says so in many of the other scriptures. Before we were saved, we walked in those very same ways. And what God is saying to us here is that there are remnants of those behaviors that are still present within us even after we're saved. And the exhortation here is for us to be very intentional about those remnants. That we are to shake them off, to lay them aside. We have been changed by the cleansing blood of Jesus, these words tell us. And those behaviors are no longer to be a part of who we are. And we must not allow them to be. They have no place within us. They have no claim upon our soul. Not since we've been saved. None of those have any claim upon our soul. And the only reason they would be manifesting themselves in our lives is if we intentionally allow them to. God's instructing us here to lay them aside. That reminded me of some of our Sunday school classes as we've talked about how as Joshua and the Israelites moved into the promised land, They were instructed specifically, as you go into this land, drive out all of those pagan people and their religions from among you. If you don't, if you allow them to stay there in your life, they'll start to become a part of your life. You'll start to intermarry with their sons and daughters and they will intermarry with you and then you'll start to worship their God. They did not do that. And that exact thing took place. They became corrupt. And that's what God was commanding these saints here in this letter from Peter to do. He's, he's saying to these dear saints, and He's saying it to us. He's saying, yes, those are old friendly habits. Yes, you're accustomed to just saying things as they would come out of your mouth. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, evil speaking. But He's saying, drive those out of your soul. Just as I commanded the Israelites to drive out those pagan people and their religions, drive these out of your soul. They have no place in you anymore. And in verse 16 of chapter 1, we're exhorted to take that to the highest extent. Take that to the highest extent. He says, I want you to be holy. Folks, that is clean and pure. That's not just working on it. He wants us to be holy. All the way holy. Verse Well, beginning in verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. You know what he's referring to there? This malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. He's saying, as obedient children, do not be conformed to those passions of your former ignorance. But as He, God, who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, you might not have noticed there that within those words, there was another therefore. Those therefores, every one of them, have to do with the why we should lay aside all these wicked ways and turn to Christ and His narrow path for righteousness and holiness. It's because He is holy. You and I need to say, Yea, Lord, I want to be like You. 
Yea and amen. I want to be like you. I want to put aside the malice that I have within me. I want to put aside deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Consider these words here for a moment. Putting aside all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and evil speaking, that's instructions that are being given to mature Christians. For the most part, those ones that this letter was written to are mature men and women. They're saved and they're going to heaven. But yet, they are still in need of being reminded to turn away from those things. And I want to exhort you and me that these words are intended for us. These very words. There's a special inference here that's being given. Verse 2. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Now, the inference given in these words, newborn babes, is not to imply that all of these were brand new believers. They weren't. But rather to say, just as a baby has this inborn hunger to seek for and to find pure milk. A mother doesn't have to force milk on the baby. There is this inborn hunger to seek after and to find pure milk. And he's saying, I also put that within every heart of every believer. And I've also put it within your heart to continue to do that. To seek after the pure milk, to thirst, to hunger and thirst after the pure milk of God's Word. What God is saying to us is that just as the mother's milk is the exact nutrition that a baby needs, so also is the pure milk of God's Word the exact nourishment that you and I need to grow and prosper in God's righteousness. That that's where we're going to find it, right here in these Scriptures. We talked about a moment ago in Sunday school how we make up our religion as we go along. You can't do that. You have to come to this book and you have to desire the pure spiritual milk within it. But listen, there's another inference being given in these words. The inference that perhaps some of these believers were not as mature as they should be. It has again to do with those words pure milk and the fact that milk, listen, milk is most often given to babies, just as he says here, and not often given to mature adults. When milk is given to mature adults, it often is for a good reason, a recovery reason. Had all of these people that this letter was written to been mature, this letter might instead have exhorted them to chew on the solid food of God's Word. But instead he's saying, desire the spiritual milk. Listen, this is a similar exhortation that's given in Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. He says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. These these same words could have been written by the Apostle Peter to those people that this letter is written to. He says, for everyone who, he says, you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Where are you today? Where are you today? Do you still need to be drinking milk? Or are you chewing on solid food? Now again, the pure milk of God's Word is excellent in every way. But there's also a time for us Christians to move on to more solid food so that we'll be able to know and how to deal with these serious issues, such as what he's bringing to us here today. 
malice, deceit, envy, hypocrisy, evil speaking. Think of those words. I researched some of their meanings in my Bible commentaries. It tells me that malice is defined as anger settled into and overgrown within the bosom of fools, retained till it inflames a man or a woman to delight in harming others. That's ugly. That's ugly. And guile or deceit is the use of flattery, falsehood, and delusion, which is a crafty imposing upon another's ignorance or weakness to hurt or to do damage to him or her or to their reputation. Guile and deceit. That's ugly. Hypocrisy. Now here it's in the plural, saying that there are all sorts of hypocrisies and ways to be hypocritical in almost everything that you do. In, in matters of Christianity, to have this counterfeit piety about you. In conversation, to counterfeit your friendship with others, paying compliments to them, making promises that you're not going to keep, pretending friendship. And all envies takes in every kind of envy, grieving at the good and the welfare of another. I had that take place with someone here recently, upset because someone else was receiving a better deal than they were. Grieving at the good and welfare of another, at their abilities, their prosperity, their success. Envy is a deep and difficult sin. And then evil speaking, to slander another person, defaming him or her, backbiting against them. I participated in this recently. Now, all of these behaviors... They're sinful and they're immature. They're not for mature Christians. They are contrary to what God wants of you and me as disciples as we walk in amongst each other. John 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, by the way that you love one another, all people will know that you are my disciples. That's what God expects from all of His dear sons and daughters, you and me, that we're to love one another. And if we love one another in that way, then we're going to lay aside all that malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all evil speaking. Now, yes, I want you and me, I've said this now twice, I want you and me to understand that God is writing these words to us. He wrote these words, Peter wrote these words to that specific group in that day and time. But listen again to the words of 2 Timothy 3. All Scripture... Those words for them are intended for you and me because all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Now when I first began to study through this passage and ask God for words that He would have me give to you, my first thoughts went to the obvious. Those obvious examples of how you can turn on any of the news programs, whether it be Fox News or MSNBC, and you can hear every one of these taking place right there within minutes of when you turn on the channel. I mean, it is malice. It is deceit. It is slander. It's just flowing out of their mouths. But then, as I continued to work through this message, my mind went also some, as I mentioned a moment ago, some very recent conversations that I myself had been caught up in. And it was some of these very behaviors. I marveled as I thought back 
on how easy it was for me to drift into these conversations. We got involved in telling stories and relating incidents to each other. And in those stories, I found it easy to embellish some of the things that I did. I don't usually brag, and I wasn't, but I did embellish. Made it better than it really was. And what I would do, I found, that as I was doing that, then I would be in inserting some criticism of perhaps someone else or belittling something that they had done. And I especially found that I was giving bad reports about other people. Do you give bad reports about other people? May I suggest that you did it within the last 24 hours? Because that is part of that the remnants of the old flesh that seem to want to hang in to our conversations. Malice, deceit, envy, hypocrisy, evil speaking. So then, may I say to you that as your pastor, I need to be chewing on solid food. But I have found that I needed to put my knife and fork down and pick up the pure milk of God's Word and let His pure milk lead me to repentance for my immature and sinful behavior. And as I have reread these words several times, I know now why God put in verse 3 here. It says, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord God is gracious. In my first reading of this, my first thought was God was separating out some of the unsaved from the saved. And perhaps He was. But more than that, for those of us who are fully confident that we are saved, God is saying very strongly to us, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, then you are without excuse. You, Bill, need to get back on your Christian walk. You need to stop behaving as if you need to go back and be bottle-fed with this pure milk of God's Word. Folks, I need to repent, pick up my solid food, and get about my father's business. And not be caught up in all of this foolishness. Remember, it's what settles in to the breast of a fool. I like that definition that I read a moment ago. Because that's what takes place. So then, before we close, may I admonish you. If you have indeed tasted that the Lord is gracious, as these words tell us, if you are fully confident that you are personally and eternally saved, then you, like me, need to move on ahead and get really serious about your behavior. The next time, listen, the next time you hear or you sense malice or deceit or hypocrisy or envy or evil speaking welling up within you, then swallow it back down. Just swallow it back down. Get alone with the Lord. Ask Him to reveal to you the source of that sinful behavior and for Him then to give you that spiritual milk of His Word to wash it away from your heart. I'll close with these words. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Let's pray.